uh, as we anticipate the arrival of Christ. All right. Uh, Before we turn to, to God's word, let's take a moment and kind of collect ourselves and our scattered senses and take a beat and a breath, and then I'll pray for us. Let's take a moment now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we don't have to wait for you to come to us. But on this great pilgrimage between your first coming and the time when you will come again to make all things new, you come to us each day. You come to us profoundly in your word. And so would you, by your spirit, come and meet each one of us where we are today with hope, with challenge, corrective, fill us up with your wisdom and truth. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, Our gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12, uh, talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. Traditionally within the church, he is the voice of Advent. And so we'll listen to his voice today. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. When he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Merry, Merry Christmas. John the Baptist is traditionally the voice of Advent. But it's not the voice that we're trained 
to expect to hear this time of year. His voice is neither holly nor jolly. He is not decked out in a nerdy Christmas sweater. Rather, he is wearing the skin of a camel, and he shows up to your house wild-haired, locusts in his teeth, not talking about trimming trees, but ready to cut all of yours down. The axe is laid at the root of the trees, he says. Imagine opening your advent calendar, the first little box today, and instead of receiving a nice candy or something, to just read the words, dear brood of vipers, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Not the voice we're trained to expect, but I would argue that it is the voice that we desperately need. In the midst of the gutless whimsy and drippy sentimentality of this season in the secular world, old man Baptist here sobers us up. And he takes our eyes and he lifts them off of whatever handbag you asked for, Air Jordans, whatever it is on your list. And he focuses our eyes on eternal things preparing our lives to meet Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry is one of preparation to prepare the hearts of people to meet their Lord. For the people of the first century, that was to meet the Messiah come in the flesh. For us, it is to ready ourselves to meet Jesus on the last day when he comes to make all things new. John the Baptist's ministry is actually predicted in the first chapters of Luke's gospel. We'll actually read this text next week, but I wanted to read just a portion of it today because it describes John's ministry and his mission. So this is Luke chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Speaking of John, it says, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So what is the ministry of, the John, of John the Baptist? It's to make people ready By turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. That is a pretty good description of what we see actually happen in John's ministry. If you look at John's ministry, not only at the beginning, but also at the end. Calling out injustice, particularly in leaders, political leaders, and religious leaders. He is like all of the Old Testament prophets, challenging the status quo, speaking truth to power, especially those who use their power to twist justice, whether that's political, religious, or any kind of power, when they use it to their own advantage, 
and to another person's disadvantage. But we should note that that particular critique to the religious leaders comes in the midst of a universal call to repentance and reflection. So, John represents the judgment of God on all of the oppressive, destructive, selfish, and nihilistic impulses of the human heart. In other words, John is an equal opportunity offender. Nobody escapes his critique. Notice in the text that he calls out both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's calling out the right and the left. These were people ideologically opposed to one another. They were the two poles of the religious and political world. So this would be analogous to announcing both the political and the religious left and right today, pointing and saying, you brood of vipers, a challenging and refreshing voice, especially in our world where so many people seem to have so much moral clarity on incredibly difficult issues. People so quickly to draw bright lines between good and evil with them always on one side of it. It's challenging and refreshing because it recognizes that if we're to heed John the Baptist's warnings, we need to realize that the, the problems of the world aren't just out there among those supposedly unique evil people among our political and ideological enemies. Rather, all of the stuff that John's calling out, it exists in our hearts. And it springs up from us as well. John reminds us that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. And so we find John Camel-dressed, locust-teethed, knocking on your door with winnowing fork and axe in hand, reminding us that we too are a part of the systems of suffering in our world, that we all make our own contributions to the misery of others, that we are all victimizers as well as victim. And the call is to recognize that and to throw ourselves before the mercy of God and to come to Him for cleansing and renewal, the kind that only God can bring. When it comes to our self-righteousness and pride in particular, the moral certainty, the clarity that we are always in the right, it is to bring that before the Lord and say, swing the Christmas axe, Lord Jesus. Bring it down. Plant in its place humility, peace, a humble heart. In fact, Lord, anything in my life that needs to be felled, Bring it down. Prune my life 
of all that leaves me ill-prepared to meet you. Prune my life so that I can bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It actually reminds me of what Jesus says about himself and his own ministry. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And if the metaphor of the axe and pruning doesn't work for you, don't worry. There's good news this morning. John gives us an equally vivid image to communicate a similar idea. And it is the image of the winnowing fork. I wanted to bring in illustrations today. And I said to Katie, I want to illustrate my sermon, and I think that I should bring in my Christmas axe and my winnowing fork. And she said, that's a terrible idea. You're going to kill somebody. So I didn't do that, but I'm going to talk about what a winnowing fork is because I didn't really know either until I started thinking about it. So let me describe it because then it's going to help us learn how Jesus might come to us this season. There's a picture on the screen, Brad and Barbara, and uh, I'm going to describe it to you over time here. And so if you were living in the ancient Near East and you had just harvested your wheat, what you would do is you would bring that wheat to what was called the threshing floor. This was a, a place of hard, dry earth. And what you would do is you would begin the threshing which was basically taking a large rock and rolling it over the wheat. Because what that would do is it would separate the grains, the good stuff, from the chaff, the bad stuff. But even after you had threshed it and crushed it, it was all still there mixed up in a pile. So how were you to separate the good from the bad? Enter the winnowing fork. And so you would take your, what would be like a wooden pitchfork, and you would put it in, you would wait for a day when there was a strong headwind. You would put your fork into the mess, and you would flip it up into the air. And that's what the picture is of, Brad and Barbara. It's like flipping up this weed into the air. And here's the thing. The good stuff was heavy, and so it would just fall. But the chaff was light, and the wind would blow it away. So you did this over and over until you had two piles. The good stuff, which you would take and you would bring into your barn. And the bad stuff, chaff, which you would burn because it really didn't have any use in the first place. Okay, we just learned about winnowing. What does that have to do with our lives? Two things. John says that Jesus does this winnowing action to us individually, and he will eventually do it to our world. Jesus, sometimes it's like this it's like your life is wheat. 
And sometimes the way that Jesus comes to us is he brings us to the threshing floor and through the circumstances of our lives that are hard, he begins to crush us. And it exposes the good and the bad. Does it sound fun to be crushed like that? No. You're a strange person if you think it sounds fun to be crushed like that. And yes, it sometimes happens. Sometimes the Lord comes to us in grace and compassion. And sometimes he comes to us in grace and compassion that is expressed in a winnowing way. When our life is crushed and then it's like we're thrown up into the air. And it seems like our life is blown around by a strange wind. And that wind is the Holy Spirit. God's strange wind that separates what's good from sometimes the things that we've been depending on that aren't so good. Sinful patterns. The bad relationships. The addictions and the idols. Bad ways of thinking, the untruths we tell ourselves. He rips those things from us so that when we fall to the earth again, we are clear and clean from it all. Only the wheat remains. Now, it should be said that the Messiah isn't the only thing in life that tries to sift sift us. Satan tries to sift us too. But when Jesus sifts us, he tries to remove the bad things from our lives. When the devil tries to sift us, he removes or tries to remove the good things from our life. But in each case, the Messiah uses it so that what falls is better than it was before. And I just described that. And some of you, that's just the life that you're living. You are thrown up. Into the air, broken and blown. And that stinks. That is not fun. I don't recommend it to anybody. But it is the mercy of God in many cases. The mercy of God that would come to us and prepare us, deepen us, by ripping away those things that are light that will eventually fade anyway. So he winnows. He prunes. He sifts us so that he can prepare us for what ne- what's next. And that happens time and time again in, in, until we get to the final thing we've been prepared for. Seeing him face. So for some of us, the call of Advent is to say, Lord, Sift me. I permit you. Sift through my life. This Advent, I'm trying to take 10 minutes of silence every day just to sit with that image of Jesus sifting, throwing my life, my heart, my affections up into the air, praying that the good remains and what needs to go would be spent, burnt. Some of you feel like that's happening already. And your call is to wait patiently. Enduring this season. 
knowing that in the end, the Lord wants you to land and his heart is to gather you up, to bring you into his barn, which is his home, his place with you. And so that's what this image means for us individually. But that's not the primary way that John's using this. He's talking about another sifting, not the sanctifying one that happens in, in between the two advents, but the one that will come at the end of time when Jesus comes to make all things new. So I just want to confess something to you, and maybe this is something you would need to confess as well. It's just that I have spent too much time lately watching YouTube clips about world events. Doom scrolling like a master ninja. Spending way too much time looking at the horrible tragedies in the world. People protesting those tragedies and then the people protesting the ones protesting the things that are happening. And I don't know why I do it. And then sometimes I read the comments and I find my life spiraling down into a kind of hopelessness, feeling so powerless in the midst of all this tragedy and hurt and yet so desirous of justice, of change, of peace, of redemption. Do you guys feel that? And so here's the thing about the winnowing fork and why it's kind of a cool image. It's the one day that Jesus will come and he's going to throw everything in the air. Every nation, every policy, Every culture, art, science, religion, technology, everything and everybody thrown up into the air to meet the wild, strange wind of the Holy Spirit. That's the second coming of Christ. When things get sifted once for all, And there will be some things that stand up to God's great wind of judgment. Great things. The true and the beautiful and the good things. Comfort, love, joy, generosity, beauty, humbleness, peace. True love. Those people who have found those things in Christ that cling to those things in him. Those things are going to stand and last and they're going to be gathered into to Christ's barn, which is just eternal salvation, eternal life. And that'll be a great and glorious day because love will win. But there are things that are chaff that will not last. And those things are hate. And war, sorrow, loss, and violence, pain, and greed, and abuse. And the people who cling to those things and make them their God, they will fall separately 
and they will be burned with unquenchable fire. John's message about a child coming to be born to die for our sins is that that same child is the cosmic judge who has come to crush the devil and destroy evil and make all things new. And so to hear him go on about the axes and the winnowing forks, it can make a a comfortable person like me a little terrified. But we must remember that for the suffering, for the oppressed, for the weary, for the war-torn, for those anxious for the renewal of all things, the Christmas axe at the root of the tree cannot swing soon enough. Bring down the monolithic redwoods of injustice and oppression, Lord. Topple the the long-standing towers of evil and suffering and sin and pain. Swing the Christmas axe, King Jesus. Because the God who has come in the manger and who has come to the cross to purchase our redemption is the one worthy of our worship because he will return in power to finish the work of redemption once and for all. And so we must be careful because the temptation in our culture is to take all of that great story and to turn it into a sentimental lawn ornament. It is to, to hear is to make room for, God, for John's cries to prepare, to let it penetrate the protective dome of our privacy and comfort and privilege. And so we need that voice in the wilderness reminding us that Christmas, that child born 2,000 years ago, that's not about sentimentality. It is not about wishful thinking. It is not about vacuous, gutless whimsy. It is bigger than that and it's better than that. It is about hope for my broken heart and my sin, for for a forgiveness and redemption that I need and that is mine in him. And it is a hope that's begun when he came and died. And it is a hope that looks forward to a time of consummation when all of the burdens that crush and every staff that whips and every rod that bruises the backs is broken. And when the marching hordes of humanity's enemies with their boots that trample when all of that is rolled up and thrown into a consuming fire so that peace may prevail pervasively and eternally your christmas is about light in the darkness your christmas is about a king who has come to end gloom and darkness and sorrow out there and in here. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you 
with the Holy Spirit, fire. I would argue that the fire there is the blazing fire of God's love. It is God's love that forgives and remakes us. It is God's love that sets everything right in the world. It's God's love that brings us to repentance. It's the love of God that sets the oppressed free. The love of God whose love is, never diminishes justice. The love of God who loves us enough to sift us. And we have the opportunity to prepare the way for the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist. It is strong medicine. (laughs) Thank you for his wild-haired ways. Thank you for taking us and turning the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Thank you for not letting us be self-righteous and proud. Thank you for humbling us and then renewing us. Thank you, Lord, that you are willing to sift us. And some of us feel broken and thrown in the air and battered around by the winds of life, but we know that you, in the end, will have all of the sifting in our lives serve us, you, preparing us deeply, making us more sturdy, firm, and mature, fruit-bearing people. And Lord, we know that one day you will come again and you'll sift through it all. And what we will be left with is your kingdom in all of its fullness. And for that, we are grateful. And so would you prepare our hearts to receive more of this message, season, more of you, more peace, more justice, more love, more humility, more Christ. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.